You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Well, and I think that the dangerous, you know, edges here are that he's trying to undermine the media, trying to make up his own facts, and it could be that while unemployment and uh, the, the economy worsens, he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think. And that if, is the that is our you, job. Yeah, if you look at the issues, that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think. And that if, is the that is our you, job. Yeah. And welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course. Not Joe Scarborough coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet, yours truly, your intrepid host. I can hear that the chickens in our backyard want to come home to roost or they would like to be on this episode. I don't know if you can hear them. I can hear them. It is at present almost 7 a.m. I slept in kind of sort of. Actually, I should have turned off my alarm. That's what I should have done. I've had a cold. I'm mostly over it now, but I should have taken the opportunity actually to sleep in like people who are sick do uh, sometimes when they have some sense. But my wife, for her part, uh, I owe her an apology when she wakes up for reals, not just for Andrew's sake. Uh, She had to jostle me awake because my alarm was just going on and on and on at five. I have it set to just recur. It usually doesn't go off before I'm awake. I usually wake up a good 10, 15 minutes before my alarm. And then I am already at my desk with my cup of coffee and I turn it off at my desk. But in this case, this morning, uh, it is seven. It's a little later than I usually podcast, but that clip at the top of the episode. That was Mika and Joe over at MSNBC. And apparently they said the quiet part out loud. She said the quiet part out loud. That's our job. That's our job to control what people think. Hmm. You can go back and check out yesterday's episode, Truth Stranger Than Science Fiction. Uh, Most of my episodes, I touch on these sorts of themes for that matter. But in this episode, I want to talk about games played with language. I was thinking of doing one on denominations. Why do we have so many and what do we make of them? Uh, I'll give you a few stats just since I said I was going to try and get into that today. I'll give you some stats that I thought interesting for anyhow. And maybe what we'll do is we'll just touch on this topic of denominations in each episode over the next week or so. How does that sound? I'm assuming you said that sounds good because I can't hear you. Uh, But uh, I I think that's what we'll do. I I think that sounds good. Uh, We will go ahead and just tease this subject out a little bit each day as I'm doing research in prep work for my apologetics talk this coming Wednesday. But actually, the main thing I realized as soon as I saw this piece 
at Not the Bee, the main thing I want to talk about in this episode is this. This is concerning, and this is my core competence, my not common core, my core competence, uh, almost the exact opposite, actually, uh, core competence and common core. But homeschooling and public education and soon to be marriage as well. As I think through these things and as I make sense of them, I'm sure you're going to see me talking a lot more even than I have been about marriage and having children to begin with. I really want to dig into this is why we had children. That's also a future book that I have planned. I am working on and plan to write a chapter at least. I think I'm a little behind schedule and need to write a few chapters. House selling got in the way. Uh, I love my brother-in-law, Chris, but my brother-in-law, Chris, coming to stay with us for a few days, four days, three days, that got in the way. But this topic of education, how kids are taught, is very, very important to me. News broke yesterday that Florida has revoked Walt Disney Company's special tax-exempt status, I believe it is, or maybe they haven't gotten to that yet. At a minimum, they've revoked their self-governance. Somehow, some way, I didn't realize that this was a thing, but apparently the Walt Disney Company has been kind of an autonomous zone for decades, which is kind of creepy, especially, not to get overly tinfoil hat here, but especially when you consider rumors and conspiracy theories that I don't know how true they are, only the good Lord knows, and I'm sure the folks at Disney know one way or the other. But you hear rumors that the Disney company has been a haven for pedophiles and child molesters and people who wanted to condition children from little on up uh, through through a kind of mind control. I mean, like Mika Brzezinski says, on uh, Joe Scarborough's program, I guess it's her program too, but he's the big name over at MSNBC. You know, that's that's our job. It's our job to control what people think. Well, that tells me right there that you don't mind, right? Like it, you, you don't have any ethical objections. So then the question is only, what are you capable of? Are you capable of, like Edward Bernays talked about in Propaganda, double nephew to Sigmund Freud, actually made Sigmund Freud a household name, uh, truth be told. Double uncle Sigmund was a creation of Edward Bernays because Edward Bernays took uncle Sigmund's uh, ideas on psychoanalysis and understanding people's motivations and used that to craft uh, and, and perfect to some extent the power of suggestion, the power of the soft sell, all through the 1950s, you can look back and you can see advertisements from newspapers and magazines. You can watch old car commercials. They are selling, <clears throat> not that car first and foremost, they are selling sex. That's what they're doing. They are selling you sex. And, oh, well, while you're at it, while you're going to buy that, uh, buy this car as well. Oh, yeah, okay, don't mind if I do. You know, they are not selling you cigarettes. They are selling you sex. 
the BBC did a really fascinating docuseries on this, The Century of the Self. You can still find it totally free. Uh, at least last time I checked, I watched it a while back. Uh, but you can find that on YouTube, find it on the interwebs. I recommend it highly. But the, the only question really is, how good have they gotten at the mind control thing? How good have they gotten? It is not a question of scruples. They do not have scruples except to win. Saul Alinsky taught us that. Saul Alinsky is not a imaginary uh, bogeyman. He is a real person who existed, or he was a real person who existed. The political grandfather of Barack Obama wrote Rules for Radicals and channeled a lot of Edward Bernays and Niccolo Machiavelli into his prescription for community organizing. He was the father of community organizing. Edward Bernays is the father of public relations as a profession, mass psychology towards the end of marketing things to people. And in our day, if you read Shoshana Zuboff's book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, she's got the receipts on what big tech at Google, at Amazon, at Facebook, at Twitter has been doing for years. They are not selling their services online to you, aka you're not paying a subscription fee to get on Facebook. They're selling you. you you're the commodity. You're the product. Influencing your thought patterns, your attitudes, your voting habits, your purchasing habits. They are selling you and me, ladies and gentlemen. And the corporate media, they are kind of the hipster version of that. They were doing it before it was cool. They've been doing it for decades. Also helpful reading, since I'm giving you a reading list anyways here. Feel free to pause as often as you need to and write these down. But also helpful to read is Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death, where he talks about how far we have fallen since the colonial days when we were so literate. We had so many printing presses here in the colonies that became the United States of America. We had such a thirst for knowledge, for speeches, for political treatises, for tracts, for books, for extended argumentation. Our attention spans were much longer. Our grasp of the issues was much better. Alexis de Tocqueville talks about this in Democracy in America. That is a well-deserved classic. It well-deserves the title of classic, I should say. But he comes through in 1831 and catalogs what it is that he's observing. And no, not everybody is a scholar. Not everybody is uh, Vicini from The Princess Bride. You're that smart. Let me put it this way. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Yes. Morons. Really? Yeah, of course, really. But not everybody was that smart. Not as smart as Vicini. And yet, we are not as smart as they were. That should, <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the thing. That's the thing that should be very concerning to us is uh, they, they were not uh, all super brilliant and yet they were much smarter on average than we are at much better read. And we can thank public education for the fact that we are not uh, as smart as they 
were. We're not as well-read as they were. We're not as engaged on these things in a substantive way as they were. Edward Bernays and Saul Alinsky and the corporate media, the corporate news media, companies like Walt Disney, and now big tech in the form of Twitter, Facebook, Google, Amazon, they have helped to dumb us down, to make us like so many cattle, so many fattened calves. I want to play for you an extended clip. And this is a few minutes long. I'm just going to play the whole thing because I think it's very important. And I want to get it to you closer to the beginning of this episode. And then I've got a lot to say on this. And this is our main topic. And I'll sprinkle in a little bit about denominations at the end just so I can sleep at night. Maybe even sleep past my alarm tomorrow morning. But take a listen. This is a story by Harris Rigby at Not The Bee regarding some undercover investigations of public schools with regards to the question of critical race theory, CRT for short, what the staff, educators, administrators, at several, anyway, public schools in states where CRT has been banned and parents are really on the lookout right now for any signs of uh, violation. This is what the teachers, administrators, and staff are saying undercover. Check it out. It's it's not actively being taught, but it's not actively not being taught. This law was really well crafted and accomplishes nothing. So if you see right here, it does not keep us from teaching the history, blah, 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 that's in the standards. Okay. So basically we're doing what we've been doing. I was worried that that had affected curriculum or changed things here. No. Right. Really? It, it, it has not. It is not in this district. We're business as usual cool. in this district. Okay. And, and we don't... I, I, I love this. Like, we don't really let anybody tell us what to do if Good. we don't believe in it. So has the law changed things for you guys, or... Why do they even yeah. do stuff like that, then? Yeah. <laughs> I do not know. There's a lot mm-hmm. of conversation about it, for sure. There's right. a lot of this. But there has been no actionable change to the curriculum. So, yeah, there you go. There's, there's one clip, okay? That's one clip by Accuracy in Media, who I'm not familiar with. But they've got the more full clip embedded in this not to be post. Uh, that's this one is from Tennessee. Uh, the next one I'm going to play for you, an extended portion of, is where they did the same kind of undercover reporting and investigation in Iowa. Check it out. We saw that in Iowa, too, they banned what they call critical race theory. House 5802. Okay. House 5802. Has it done anything? Has it affected you guys? No. No, it hasn't. It really hasn't affected us at at all. Why do they do that? We had to shift our language? Yeah. Absolutely. So the stupid state laws, at least as of yet, haven't messed with Mm -hmm. curriculum or changed anything? It hasn't changed anything. One thing I'm really proud of with our social studies curriculum is we uh, have, for K-5, we have just adopted Inquire Ed, which is... um, has a foundation in social justice standards. Nice. Castle, so a lot of social emotional learning. The bill isn't changing the curriculum or anything? It does not change the curriculum at all. Uh, what I'm proud of when it, when it comes to curriculum that we've been able to do is we've um, 
implemented what we call an equity tool, diversity, equity, and inclusion tool here, here. that allow us uh, allows us to every sort of literature that we're bringing into the school now, even math, we're going through this tool. Uh, we're using this tool now, a curriculum development team, to really say, our um, folks represented in this? You know, uh, who's being represented? Who's being left out of this? and really striving to make that more more diverse. We're doing a curriculum review to make sure that we have okay. like social emotional learning and diversity just infused so, in the day to day that's exactly to help inform everybody. That. So that's something we're doing. 802 has not stopped us from talking equity. 802 has not stopped us from talking about bias, both implicit and explicit bias. Mm has -hmm. it stopped us from talking about privilege and what it looks like and sounds like, feels like, and how Good. it show up in classrooms and how our teachers need to be reflective in our own biases. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we've done learning mm -hmm. in all of our buildings surrounding that. That's so good. Um, and we're st and we still got a lot more work to do. So you can still discuss, like in social studies, systemic racism. Absolutely. Right. Can we teach that like systemic racism is inherent in capitalism? Absolutely. We nice. can say that because that's truth. That's based in fact. We can research that. <laughs> Yes, indeed, we can. We can research that. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Educrat. Educrat is not a term I coined, but that is the term that fits. You are a bureaucrat in the educational monopoly that is American public education. Yes, we can research that, and some of us know how, and we do, and we have, and that is actually why there were laws passed in your states saying, don't teach our kids critical race theory. Don't teach them critical theory. Critical race theory is an outgrowth of critical theory, is an outgrowth of the Frankfurt School, is an outgrowth of the work of Antonio Gramsci. It is all about cultural Marxism and getting Western nations, prosperous Western nations like the United States of America, to believe that actually all of your prosperity, all, all your prosperity is based on, is predicated on oppression of minorities. See, he says it right there. Capitalism and systemic racism, they are two peas in a pod. Systemic racism is inherent to capitalism. Therefore, you should get rid of capitalism. Therefore, what do you get instead? What is this equity that you're talking about? It's communism. It is Marxism. This is the ideals of the French Revolution, not the ideals of the American Revolution. Also, a couple of books I would recommend. Add to your list. Write these down. Check out The Great Debate by Yuval Levin. If you're feeling really feisty, you could read Thomas Paine's The Rights of Man. Not a great one. That one is The Principles of the French Revolution. Thomas Paine was an atheist. He didn't call himself an atheist because it was very dangerous work in the 18th century to call yourself an atheist. But he was an atheist for all intents and purposes, rejected the Christian faith, thought it was a lot of hokum and superstition. Also, if you're going to read one or the other instead of both, read Reflections on the Revolution in France by Edmund Burke. That one is an excellent treatment of the topic. Also, definitely buy my book, and this is why we homeschool, because ladies and gentlemen, this is why we homeschool. And this is something I talk about in my book, where I say, you can't 
put your children in this just so you have a voice at the school board. The Biden administration decided to call you a domestic terrorist threat and put you on a watch list if you went to a school board meeting and said, hell no, you can't teach this to my kids. You can't teach my kids that gender is a social construct. You can't teach them that it's totally arbitrary and that doctors have to just guess what gender a baby is at birth. You can't teach them that capitalism, earning your wages by the sweat of your brow, enjoying the fruits of your labors, are inherently racist, Western, white, supremacist, white, nationalist constructs. You can't teach my kids that. That's a lot of nonsense. You are a Marxist recruiter. That's what you are. You're a Marxist indoctrinator. That's what you are. Hey, wait a second. Why am I being escorted from the building, Mr. Police Officer? Oh, because the school board called the cops and said I was getting a little loud and they're feeling threatened. No, get your kids out. Get your kids out of the public schools. Vote with your feet. Because it doesn't matter what laws you pass, these people are activists. They are true believers in what it is that they're selling. Now, I had a, a number of friends in high school who were public schooled. Most of my friends in high school were public schooled. My wife went to public school. I don't have anything against people who have been to public school. I just feel sorry for them, I, quite frankly. And it isn't to say that everything is just a bed of roses if you're homeschooled. Certainly not. People are people. But why would you add to the woes of your children by adding <laughs> alienation from their family of origin, from their parents, by sending them to public schools to be taught by people like this? Why would you add to their woes? Why would you do that? You, know, you pass a law in your state, you get enough signatures, and you say, you're not teaching my kids to experiment sexually with one another. It's no big deal. You're just nothing but mammals, so let's do like they do on the Discovery Channel. We're, you're not teaching my kids that. That is not okay. You, you can't do that. And what are the teachers and the administrators who are true believers who really do believe, I mean, if, if they believed before, why would you think that they just suddenly stop believing it now, now that you tell them they can't do it? You know, the teachers and the administrators who were true believers behind the scenes, they just say, okay, well, I'll change my language. I will not use that term because that term clearly triggers you. And I'm going to go by the strictest interpretation. We don't know how to do that. <laughs> Leftists, the progressives, they don't know how to do that interpreting by the strictest interpretation of the letter of the law when it comes to the Constitution, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Oh, eh, what does that really mean? You know, like what, what does that mean? Shall not be infringed. It's pretty clear. And they look at these children as being their children. Uh, that's the bottom line. That was the reason why this model was adopted for our model. This is not the only way to teach children, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the public schools are not the standard. They are patterned after, again, as I say in my book, as I explain and outline in my book, they're patterned after 
the Prussian model of public education, which was cooked up, concocted by Frederick the Great and his father, so that they could make 99 in 100 of the students who attended Prussian public schools obedient slaves to the will of the sovereign. Sovereign here not being God, but being the emperor, being the king, being the state. Let's take your filial piety, let's take your reverence, your honor, your love and devotion towards your father and your mother, and let's transpose that onto the state to where you see the government as being your father and your mother. Let's do that. And progressives like John Dewey said, hey, let's do that here. Only let's make the type of education that we give these kids such that they become progressives like us. They become liberal in the wrong sense like us. It's actually not liberation, though, any more than the French Revolution ended up being liberation. Vive la liberté. You didn't get liberty, actually, really truly. You got slavery to sin. You got slavery to mob rule. You got slavery to kangaroo courts where an accusation is enough to send somebody to the gallows or to the firing squad or to be literally torn limb from limb. Some of the stories that come out of the French Revolution are absolutely appalling and horrifying. But the French Revolution has played out a few times in a few different forms. The Bolsheviks had their own French Revolution-style overthrowing of the old system. And what did they get? Did they get liberty? Did they get freedom? Did they get equity? No, they got oppression. They got slavery to something darker and more comprehensive and more total. Thus, the term totalitarianism. The Chinese under Mao had their own French Revolution of sorts. Their Mao's cultural revolution. We're seeing it play out here. Because you get, you get people desperate enough. You collapse the system. You overwhelm it with printing money out of thin air, raising the minimum wage to where everybody makes the same, sending universal basic income checks to everybody, giving huge sums of money to corporations who are going to be favorable to the regime. It's tyranny and it's oppression and it's totalitarianism. This is not capitalism. This is not free market. This is not liberty. This is not America that they want. They want the French Revolution. They want the Bolshevik Revolution. They want Mao's cultural revolution. The Great Leap Forward, though, involved tens of millions of Chinese men, women, and children starving to death because their food, their resources were being shipped to other countries in exchange for weapons, technology, favor. Mao was willing to starve his own people to death because the needs of the many outweighed the needs of the few. And so also here, you know, we have these people who they're true believers, and some of them are well aware of what it is that they are going to bring about in the way of human suffering, of individuals. They don't care. They 
are full of themselves. They have a God complex. This is actually a war against God as much as it is anything else. It's a war on reality for sure because reality doesn't work this way. It doesn't work in neat and tidy conformity to their theory, to their wishful thinking, to their wish casting, to their utopian vision, but they don't care because they have a nihilistic bend as well. Believing that there is no God, I'm just worm food when I die. I don't go anywhere. You don't go anywhere. What does it matter anyway? They can rationalize and justify treating people any way that comes to their imagination. And because they've embraced this idea that authenticity and the state of nature and embracing whatever it is makes you happy, believing in yourself, because they embrace all of that, they could just as easily be the Marquis de Sade as they could be Mickey Mouse. And for that matter, again, not to put on a tinfoil hat, but one wonders what all Disney has covered up and even protected with their own self-governing status there in Florida for decades. What have they been doing that, as we know, right? This is not speculative. As we know, so many of the young child stars who have come out of Disney have been absolute wrecks as soon as they are no longer cute anymore, as soon as they are adults trying to live their own life. There's a certain pattern of mental illness, substance abuse, hypersexuality in public. And then they collapse, then they implode. They have nervous breakdowns. They get admitted to mental hospitals. They have people put in charge of making their day-to-day choices because they can't function. They melt down. What happened to them as children that they look as rough and ragged and used up by the time they're my age or your age as they do? Is it possible that the things which are now being teased in public in the public schools regarding sexuality, regarding questions of, what do they call it, MAP, M-A-P, Minor Attracted Persons, is it possible that some of the things that have been teased in movies on Netflix and other places actually are the cat coming out of the bag as far as what was happening at Disney for decades with their own self-governing status? Hey, you've got access to all these children. Come on, kids. You know, if, if you think, let me put it this way. If you think that there's something untoward and creepy and not okay about Michael Jackson having Neverland and inviting all of these boys and girls to stay with him there. If, if you think there's something untoward and dark and sinister about that, what about Walt Disney Company insisting on transing the kids, insisting on public schools being able to talk with kids about sex from kindergarten on up, talking about having sex with other kids, or who knows? And then you come to these public school teachers and administrators 
and you hear the defiance, the sense of entitlement that they are communicating behind the scenes, this is why we homeschool, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, as I was saying earlier, I had a lot of friends who were public schooled in high school. Most of my friends, I mean, most of, most Americans went to public school. But there were a couple of different categories that I sort of loosely put everyone that I knew in high school into, being homeschooled myself. One category was the kids who go to public school and think I'm all right. And they'll actually talk to me. And I think they like me. Gosh darn it, people like me. <laughs> and they think I'm cool. Hey, why do they think I'm cool? This one girl that had a crush on me, not Lauren, uh, before Lauren, before Lauren and I were dating, she told me one time that I acted like a rich boy in a certain sense. Like she was surprised to find out that we didn't have a lot of money, actually. She, she thought that we did, and we, we really did not. And I'm asking questions, and I'm like, well, why, what do you, what, you know, why do you, why do you say that? What do you mean by that? I don't understand what, like, huh? She's like, well, you just, like, you carry yourself with confidence. Like, you have a certain walk, like, you walk like you're confident and uh, not embarrassed to be yourself. And I've thought about that off and on over the years, and I've thought to myself, you know what that, you know what that actually is, friend? That, that actually was just the consequence of being homeschooled. That, that wasn't something really, really you know, special to me or spectacular to me. That was the fact that I was homeschooled and I wasn't given all this junk in the way of peer pressure to, hey, you know, don't be too smart. Don't be too talented. Don't be too amused by that joke. I hate, don't laugh. It's not cool to laugh. Don't wear that. That's not cool to wear. That's not the fashionable thing right now. Hey, don't read those books. Those are not cool books to read right now. You read those books, and we're going to put you in this category. We're going to call you a nerd. Like, what? No. Like, why can't I play some pickup football when it's time to play pickup football and also go home and lick my wounds because I didn't know how to tackle the friend of mine who was 50 pounds on me, four inches taller and 50 pounds heavier than I was. I just ran like straight into him and bounced off and knocked the wind out of me. But then I go home and I read Isaac Asimov because why not? And maybe I'll build a computer tonight too. And then, oh yeah, you know what? Actually, I th I'm, I'm getting ready to try out for the lead role in the music man at your school because why not? I'm in this district. My parents pay taxes to this district. Why not? And then they scramble. Apparently, some of the teachers did not appreciate that. Some of the parents and the teachers complained. They changed the rules to where homeschool kids can't or couldn't participate anymore. All the while, <laughs> the proof of the pudding is in the tasting. The whole time we're practicing, because I was given a role the first time around when I tried out. I was given a role in the barbershop quartet. All these kids are coming up to me and they're saying, you really should have gotten the lead role. Like you were really, you, you, your audition was phenomenal. Like we've never seen anything like that. Have you ever acted before? No. Wow. 
Have you ever danced before? No. Have you ever sung before? Well, yeah. Yeah, singing along to the radio. My mom's a piano teacher. I sang in a few choirs, yeah. And these kids are all thinking, wow, that's so cool. I wish I was homeschooled. Ooh, no. Oh, no. You can't say that. Danger, Will Robinson. Abort, abort. That's what the public school administrators and teachers and parents who objected were thinking to themselves really truly. Our kids are coming home and saying, hey, why can't I be homeschooled? Well, because then you wouldn't be able to participate in sports. Well, yeah, but why? Why? Right? Like, why can't homeschool kids in the community play on our sports team? Why, why can't they play on our tennis team or our golf team or our football team or our soccer team? Well, because they just, they, they just can't. What, but Why? Well, you, you couldn't do choir anymore. Well, yeah, but why can't the homeschool kids do the choir either? Well, because it's only for public school students. Yeah, but why? Because I said so. Hmm, you know why you said so? Because it's dangerous. Because that's actually liberty. That's actually freedom. You know, the whole difference in my view between a good home education and public education in America writ large is the difference between teaching people what to think, as Mika Brzezinski says at MSNBC, that's our job. We tell people what to think. Can't do that. You might People might start listening to you instead of us. <gasps> Perish the thought. Unless, of course, you're full of it. <laughs> you're actually defrauding all these people. You are totally enslaving them. You have totally made them into your clients. They're beholden to you. And you hold them in contempt. You think they're stupid, which is funny. It's funny to me. And I don't mean any disrespect at all. Please, if you, if you went to public school, I don't mean any disrespect. I don't think that, I don't think that my wife is stupid. But you know what bugs the absolute hell out of me? As somebody who was homeschooled, when I talk to my wife and I say, Hey, that's a really great idea. And she gets this surprised look like, it is? I have good ideas. I have great ideas. Yeah, you do. You're, you're very smart. Well, no, I'm not very smart. Where did these kids get this idea that they can't be smart? You know, basically what it is, I think it, again, to dovetail off of yesterday's episode, I think it's very, very similar to the plot of Ender's Game by Orson Scott Cart. You know, the reason why they keep having all this trouble in the battle room and with this academy for training the world's smartest children and selecting who's going to be the commander is because the folks who are doing the selecting don't know. In order for them to be able to select who's going to be qualified, they would have to be smart enough to appreciate the quality of, let's say, an ender or a bean. And yet they put Brutal, ruthless, conniving, prickly, insecure, short-sighted, power-hungry maniac sociopaths in charge because they understand that. <laughs> they, they, they know that because that's, that's, that's what they're like. You know, I, I think the worst thing about public education is you have some very, very bright people who have been through the public education system and they don't believe that they are intelligent. They have no confidence whatsoever because the public schools 
conditioned and drilled those traits out of them. So they think that they're dumb, which has a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy quality to it. When you think that you're dumb and you don't try, well, that's dumb. It's not that you're dumb, but that's dumb. You know, one of the points that my wife, for instance, brought up that I ended up putting in the book because I'm like, that's a great point. That's a really, bravo. And she had that surprised look on her face like, really? Yes. It's stupid how dumb you think you are, but you're very smart. One of these days I'll talk her into it. But her question was, you know, for all these parents who say, I don't think I could ever homeschool my kid. I don't think I'm smart enough for that. I don't think, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so. I, I would, I would mess it up. Where did you get your education? And why would you send your kids back to the place where you were taught so little or instilled with so much doubt, so much self-doubt, so much insecurity? Why, why would you send your kids into that to get more of the same? Why would you do that? I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. At some point, you have to say, this is broken and this is not working. And it's not going to work because it's fundamentally flawed. It is predicated on faulty assumptions, a faulty view of God, a faulty view of man, a faulty view of reality. And it therefore will never succeed. And oh, by the way, the people who run it will never get what they want. And they will just get increasingly frustrated And woe to those who are close at hand as they get increasingly desperate and frustrated because they will get increasingly unhinged and vengeful and crazy. I don't want my kids going to that and growing up insecure. But you parents who don't think you could do it, you don't think you could figure it out. I say, not with that attitude, you won't. Not with that attitude, you can't. You know, here lately, my wife and I, we've started trying to get back into shape. And of course, my wife having had eight babies plus three miscarriages, you know, she's, I I think she's in good shape given the circumstances. It's not just having babies. There's also some underlying health conditions that we didn't realize were there, including some genetic mutations that are inherited They're not due to having so many babies. At a certain point, we will just say, hey, that's, we don't think we will try. Some people think that is awful, but we do the natural family planning thing, not to give TMI, but we do the natural family planning thing because we have to intentionally make a point to not have children. Some people, they have fertility issues, That's a whole nother podcast episode. I would love to talk about fertility with all of you. (laughs) But some people genuinely do have fertility issues. And that's just so so totally foreign to us. And I don't say that to brag or boast or, or anything. I'm just, it's just an honest admission for what it's worth. And for us, you know, we're trying to get back in shape. I now have a sit down job where I am going to need to intentionally get up and move on a regular basis because there's so much going on. There's so much to do. There's so much that I need to attend to during the workday that I'm going to be physically very unhealthy 
I'm mentally exhausted, but I'm going to be very physically unhealthy if I don't get up and move around and be intentional about exercising and staying in shape, getting back in shape and then staying in shape. Uh, my wife, meanwhile, she's trying to get in shape. She's trying to get healthy because she's got some things that we can manage that we've diagnosed with the help of some good doctors here in Colorado. There's some things that we, we don't know of any kind of a cure for, but we can manage them and mitigate the symptoms. And there's some things that we think maybe we could possibly with some more work uh, eliminate as being problems. So that's good. Uh, but for all of the above, if we can at least simplify the equation by exercising regularly, that, that's what we're trying to do. And so one of the things you find as you're trying to work out, having not worked out for a while, or you know, if you've had a surgery, like my wife had some major you know, knee surgery, she had bad knees, bad ligaments, loose ligaments that caused her knees to wander, her knee caps to wander, wear in the wrong places. If you start exercising when the muscles have atrophied, yes, it will be difficult and you don't have a lot of strength and you don't have a, long, a lot of endurance and you don't have a lot of flexibility. But how do you get those things, ladies and gentlemen? You get them by exercising. You get them by exercising those muscles. The mind is a muscle. The heart is a muscle. And I don't mean that just from a chemicals and electrical signals standpoint. I mean that from fibers and tissues aside your spiritual condition, your personality. We know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. It's a character quality that James talks about. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Well, you know what? Marriage, raising children, homeschooling those children, you will face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. Now, if you were going to automatically do that, you wouldn't need to be told to do it. If it were easy, you wouldn't have to be told why it's a value because you're going to forget sometimes that you need to do it. You're going to forget sometimes even when you know you need to do it, why you need to do it. So you need to be reminded, be intentional and stay at it. But hard things are typically the rewarding things in life. So you're doing the cost-benefit analysis. And my question to you would be, when you hear clips like I played for you, and I'll post the link and you can watch the full videos. There's longer uh, content available in the link to the, not the B article I got these from. But, I mean, you listen to those, you watch those. And my question to you is, what are your children worth? Are your children worth the hassle, the time, the trouble, the investment? You know, a big question in my mind here lately has been, <clears throat> how do I make more money? Uh, honestly, and, and I don't say that because I want to be rich. I say that because I am very concerned about inflation and its potential effects on a family our size when I'm the sole breadwinner. I'll just, I'll level with you. I worked really, really hard for 10 years to get to the point where my hourly wage, I'm an hourly employee, hourly contractor, to where my hourly wage is what it is now. And then I'm talking with a guy the other day. He says, yeah, uh, I saw McDonald's is trying to hire people for $22 an hour. They can't find people. They can't hire people. Nobody wants to work for $22 an hour. They've been getting paid to do nothing for two years through COVID, due to COVID. 
You think somebody wants to go work at McDonald's for 22 bucks and they can make more than that staying home? And I'm thinking to myself, 22 bucks? 10 years ago, I got my first job in the oil and gas industry. My first real job. There was a two or three days stint as rouse about, but that doesn't, that doesn't count. I got my job as a lease operator starting out at $23 an hour. And I was very excited. I was thrilled. But ladies and gentlemen, what we're seeing right now economically is the result of decades and generations of American parents sending their kids to the public school systems to be taught how to think. No, no, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. What to think. Like Mika Brzezinski says, taught what to think. You say, hey, I want more money for my work. I am delivering more value now. Then somebody has an easy time of it telling you to go away because you're being greedy. Hey, wait a second. No, 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 no. No. The workman is worthy of his hire, is worthy of his wages. Do not muzzle the ox as he treads out the grain. That's not greedy on my part to say, I should be making more than the kid who begrudgingly took the job at McDonald's. 10 years in oil and gas, I should be making more than that. I, I am, to be clear. But less and less more, my wages are not going up. And you know what you hear when you go to an employer over the past two years? You hear, due to COVID. Well, what does COVID do to? Again, it goes back to public education. Generations of Americans sending their kids into public schools to be taught what to think, not how to think. A very select few are chosen out based on an evolutionary model, their naturally selected finger quotes, the fittest to survive, just so happen to be those who are going to be favorable to the status quo, powers that be, the corporate interest. Now their self-interest is involved here, but only the ones who are going to agree with the agenda of our progressive overlords, these totalitarians, only the ones who are going to reinforce that and expand that and take its ball down the field towards the conservative goal, score on them. Only those ones are told from little on up, oh, yes, you're very smart. Meanwhile, the conservatives are told, oh, you're very dumb. You're very stupid. What an ignorant thing to say. Give me this garbage and this drivel and this nonsense. Almost sounds like you think you could be making decisions someday. We'll just see about that. It's abuse. How many millions of American children have been aborted in their mother's wombs over the past 50 years? And how many tens of millions more have been abused in the public schools if they survived, if they ran the gauntlet successfully, weren't aborted? Most of them, uh, quite frankly, most of them. And actually, too, and this is going to be close to my final thought, With regards to the games played with language here, this is actually reminding me of a conversation I've been having with a friend of mine, or two, or three, or four, over the past year with regards to the book Lead by Paul David Tripp. Because this is one of the things I keyed in on in the book Lead, because I'm familiar with the definitions of the terms and the concepts. I am familiar with what is perceived as being the priority to progressives and to the left 
And so I have said this. I have said this a dozen times if I've said it once. And I think, I think I'm getting blank stares. I'm not sure that I'm being heard or that it is going to take anything less than an investigative reporter sitting down for coffee with Paul David Tripp, candid one-on-one. If he says something like what these public school teachers and administrators are saying, oh, yeah, no, we just, we just changed the language. We're, we're definitely saying the exact same thing that we've been saying all along. CRT bans in our state, be damned. Yeah, no, 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 no. We, we are totally still promoting systemic racism, CRT, class struggle, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusivity. We are totally still promoting all of that, gender theory, all of it. Absolutely. We just don't call it that. We call it something else. Let's come up with a euphemism. Ooh. Yeah. You know who else I think did that? Paul David Tripp in his book Lead. And guess where most of the clergy, most of the leaders, most of the people who are going to weigh in on who should or should not be leaders, guess where most of them were educated growing up? That's right. The American public schools. Now, we are fish in water that don't realize that we're wet, in part because we've spent our whole lives from Walt Disney to Mika Brzezinski and now Facebook, Twitter, Google, not being taught how to think, being taught what to think. And we become dependent. We, we think that we need someone to do our thinking for us instead of someone to equip us All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? Four things. For what? That the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work, might be complete. Not you snip a little here and you clip the wings there and you discourage any outside the box ideas, perspectives on the grounds that, oh, no, 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 we got to be unified. Uh, No, I think what you're describing is not biblical unity, actually. I think what you're describing is groupthink. That is not the same thing. Do not get them confused. You are conforming to the pattern of this world instead of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is why we homeschool. Now, real quick, this actually is legit. The final thought. Uh, In my researching for my apologetic talk coming up this next week, I did a little bit of searching for just denominations, just see what comes up. I want to do an image search because I'm curious how many denominations are there and how many people are in the various denominations. I was just curious, right? I may or may not include all of this or I might just keep it in the back of my mind as kind of a reserve for my own appreciation of the subject. I only have so much time on Wednesday night next Wednesday night. But percentage of Christian population that is Catholic, Protestant, Eastern Orthodox, Oriental Orthodox, or other Christian, according to Wikipedia, 50.1% Catholic, 36.7% Protestant, 9.4% Eastern Orthodox, 2.5% Oriental Orthodox, 1.3% other Christian. Getting a little bit more specific, Catholicism has 
1.345 billion adherents. Christianity overall, 2.6 billion by their estimates. But 1.345 billion of those are Catholics. Uh, only 18 million of those Catholics are independent Catholics. I'm not sure uh, quite what that means. I'll be honest. Uh, 900 million to 1 billion are Protestants. Out of that roughly 1 billion, somewhere between 300 and 500 million are uh, members of one of the historic Protestant sects or denominations. So Anglicanism is 110 million. That's the biggest single group. Baptist comes in second at 100 million. Lutheran comes in third, 70 to 90 million. Reformed churches, a.k.a. uh, Calvinists, coming in next at 60 to 80 million. So there's there's about as many Reformed folks as there are Lutherans. Although I... I would just point out a very a very interesting thing here for those of you who are in the Reformed circles. You might know a lot of Reformed people in your family and friends here in the U.S., what have you, but 60 to 80 million out of 2.6 billion, uh, the vast majority of folks who identify as Christians around the world today uh, are not reformed. That is interesting. There's as many Lutherans, more Baptists, more Anglicans. After reformed, aka Calvinists, although I should point out, I should point out, uh, you can have Calvinists in, you know, let's say Baptist circles. It, it, It isn't necessarily mutually exclusive there. So, um, but after the Reformed churches, 60 to 80 million. You've got Methodists, who are 60 to 80 million. You've got Adventists, or Seventh-day Adventists, 21.8 million. Restorationism, 7 million. Anabaptists, 4 million. Uh, In the Anabaptist category, a subcategory is Mennonites. That's what my dad and that side of the family grew up. But 4 million Anabaptists. Plymouth Brethren, I've known some folks who were Plymouth Brethren. One million. Hussites, one million. Quakers, 0.4 million. I've known a few Quakers. It's a very, very small number. Less than half a million Quakers. Uh, Also, modern Protestantism makes up another 400 to 500 million. So you have actually 300 to 500 million historical Protestants and you have 400 to 500 million modern Protestants. Now, what is a modern Protestant? Pentecostals make up 280 million. They are bigger. The biggest category in modern Protestantism is Pentecostalism. And it is bigger potentially than the three biggest historical Protestant denomination groupings combined. Anglicans, Baptists, and Lutherans combined have about as many as identify as Pentecostal around the world. Uh, Non-denominational Christianity, 80 to 100 million. Now, I have put myself in that category for a long time. I would consider myself to be non-denominational. My reasoning is such, uh, I don't see any denomination in 
the New Testament. I see Christians. Uh, even when you have people saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. That could have been the beginnings of, I'm of Luther, I'm of Calvin. And the way I see it, I don't need to be of Luther or of Calvin to read them, to benefit from them. Uh, I don't have to be of them. I don't have to be a Lutheran. I don't want to be a Lutheran. I don't want to be a Calvinist. I want to be a Christian. And if I happen to agree with Calvin and Luther on some things, great. But I'm not getting in with them as my intercessor. I'm getting in with Christ as my intercessor. That's my reasoning. Take it for what it's worth. I know not everybody loves that. Some people think that's weird, but oh well. African initiated churches. I, I'm curious about this. I don't know what that means, actually. Uh, I'm assuming that is uh, African, Native African peoples having created their own networks of churches in Africa, uh, not subscribing to any one of the other uh, you know, major historical denominations, traditions, just being non-denominational in Africa, I, I would presume. But that's, it's kind of weird to break that out, in my opinion. It's kind of, kind of odd for reasons I won't get into right now. Chinese patriotic Christian churches, 25 million. Uh, I don't know this, but I, I wonder if that isn't the um, you know, state-sanctioned Chinese church. State approved, kid tested, mom approved, Chinese Christian churches. I don't know. It could be the opposite for all I know. New apostolic church, 10 million. Local churches, 1 to 10 million. Messianic Judaism, 0.3 million. I've known some Messianic Jews as well. Very interesting people. Very interesting conversations. All of them thus far have thought that the Book of Enoch was legit, by the way. Fun fact. Uh, After those Protestant sects. You've also got Eastern Protestant Christianity, 22 million. And then from there, you've got Eastern Orthodoxy, which is 220 million. You've got Oriental Orthodoxy, which is 62 million. Non-Trinitarian Restorationism, 35 million. And the Church of the East, 0.6 million. So there you go. There is a breakdown of all of the major denominations denominational families, if you will, in Christianity, 2.6 billion Christians around the world. More on that in episodes to come, but I got to run. It's my first day off and I am beat. Past three days of work were just phone calls all day, emails all day. My brains are tired and I need to get up out of this chair, away from this desk, out of this office, live and move and have my being exercise, interact with people face-to-face, all that. But as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.